This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It was something of a shock when we received a statement late yesterday from Dr. Eileen Davila telling us that she'd be taking a leave of absence to remove precancerous cells that were detected in a routine mammogram. And as Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Davila has been one of the busiest and most visible public officials throughout the pandemic. And uh, her diagnosis is a shock, but certainly not a surprise. She herself says, quote, my story is not unique. Women throughout Toronto receive news like this every day. Well, her surgery is today, and we wish her all the best. Uh, and I'm extrapolating that she has what is known as DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, and it's a condition where the cancer cells are in the milk duck, and they have not invaded the breast to be full-blown breast cancer. And it's something you should be screened for. So let me give the numbers out again. Uh, if you have questions or comments, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Eileen Rakovich, who is a radiation oncologist and the head of the Breast Site Group at Sunnybrook Hospital, and Dr. Martin Yaffe, a breast cancer researcher at the Sunnybrook Research Institute, and Toronto City Councillor Jay Robinson, Ward 15, Don Valley West. And Jay, uh, you had a very rare and very uh, dire breast cancer diagnosis right at the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, let's begin with you. First of all, how are you? Well, thank you, Libby. I'm doing really well. Uh, Actually, I have to disclose that Dr. Rakovic was actually one of my three doctors. Okay, you got a good doctor there. (laughs) I was a very lucky person. She's phenomenal, and I think, Libby, you and I would both agree, we are not talking about this enough. These are the real everyday heroes in uh, Toronto that are saving people's lives, and she is just this phenomenal doctor. I can't say enough about her, and she's just the head of the Breast Centre, now the head of Odette at Sunnybrook. And I'm just thrilled to be on on the line with her. But thank you for asking me. I'm doing well. um, But, you know, as we both know, Libby, one out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Um, So in some ways it's shocking. In other ways it's not because one out of eight women. Um, And we're just heartbroken at City Hall to hear this news. She's worked so hard through the pandemic, leading the charge making bold decisions, very difficult decisions that a lot of people didn't like. Um, and here she is with this diagnosis. So our hearts are all with her today as she goes through surgery, and we're thinking about her uh, hour by hour. Uh, and Dr. Rakovich, you know, I haven't talked to you for a long time, but I remember the last time I talked to you, you were about to start some research on this condition, which is known as ductal carcinoma in situ. And it's, yes. it's the, the weird thing about it, it's, it's not cancer yet. And, uh, you know, some of it could go on to become invasive breast cancer, and some of it won't. But at that point, uh, the problem was that you didn't know which was which. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I just want to also thank you, Jay, for those kind words and to both of you for, I really commend you for being so public and Dr. Davila as well, and I too wish her well. Um, DCIS is precancerous. It is highly curable. And in some cases, it is the beginning to develop into invasive breast cancer. I think this is also very important to remind women to go for screening, that it is safe now. There was a lot of hesitancy and concern with regards to COVID, and Martin can speak more to that. But we know that by screening, it's our best 
um, capability to find breast cancer early. And DCIS is a very early form. It's precancerous. But Libby, as you said, and you have a good memory, years ago, the key and a lot of the research, our own research program as well as others, are really trying to understand which DCIS lesions truly are going to develop into invasive cancer so that we know which individuals require treatment to prevent breast cancer and which DCIS lesions are not, which ones have a more indolent course are not going to develop so that we can reduce what is referred to as over-treatment or unnecessary treatment. And that really depends on the research that our team and others are doing to distinguish the pre, truly precancerous DCIS lesions from those that have a more benign outlook. And uh, Dr. Yaffe, so, uh, so have you figured that out or have you, has it been figured out somewhat or is it still a matter where you, you treat it all because you just don't know? Well, I think in many cases that's what, what happens, uh, is, is what's happening. But I think uh, Dr. Rakovich's work, and she's not only an outstanding doctor but also an outstanding researcher, is looking at how you can try to separate those uh, ductal carcinomas that are going to be dangerous from you know, the sleepier ones that really aren't going to do any harm long term. And I think that's really the, the uh, key to the future, is to try to do that separation so that women can be treated more appropriately in each case. Uh, so, uh, again, Dr. Rakovich, how far are we from being able to do that? Well, we're, I would say, uh, and Dr. Yaffe uh, can speak to this as well, that there really is a two-pronged approach. What our team is doing and other investigators is what we refer to as molecular profiling. So we're taking DCIS lesions and we're looking at the gene profiling so that we can understand which uh, subset of DCIS lesions are precancerous and are not. So there are clues. There are early uh, data and uh, that our team and others are looking for clues of what is, what is the molecular profile of a DCIS lesion that truly is precancerous. And then imaging scientists, as like Dr. Yaffe, are looking at imaging-based features to say which ones, when a woman goes for a mammogram, which lesions are the clues to a truly precancerous ominous lesion from one that might be more benign. So the research team are working together, and we're, getting, we're not there yet, but we're getting very close to understanding the molecular profile to distinguish those that are more aggressive that need treatment. They're not aggressive from a, from a uh, life-threatening point of view, but which DCIS lesions really are going to develop into invasive cancer so we know who needs treatment from which ones that are not so that we can reduce over-treatment. Uh, Jay Robinson, I mean, you uh, had a, a, a somewhat analogous situation as a woman in public life, uh, uh, you know, with a diagnosis that required you to take time, uh, I'm certain more time than Dr. Davila. What do you think her particular challenges with that are? And, and I mean, you know, the statement said she wants to go back to work on December the 20th, so uh, it's not exactly a long medical leave. No, and I, I had the same reaction to the 20th. I hope she takes longer. Um, I really do. There's an amazing team at Toronto Public Health. Um, she's got a whole number of doctors around her that are phenomenal, basically deputies. Um, and they're just impressive group of people uh, that know the COVID file inside and out and have been working on it, um, quite frankly, religiously. So... We're not concerned. We want her to take the time she needs to heal. This is, you know, it's not, this is not, Libby, a fun diagnosis. You and I both know um, it can be, for many, a devastating diagnosis. And it's surgery. And it's surgery, and it's not, it's not an easy recovery. Um, from it, whether it's this or that, it's, it's tough. So I do hope she'll take the time she needs. Um, the holidays are around the corner. You know, I really hope she does because she's worked so hard. She's given back to the city over and over again. And she's got a number of colleagues that can just run with the files. So I'm, I'm hopeful. But I am happy that she has um, shared this with Toronto because I think Libby 
it will encourage other women to think, I'm going to schedule my mammogram. As Dr. Rakovic said, right at the beginning, screening, screening, screening. I wish, I wish, I wish. Um, you know, if I delved into my story, I have regrets. Um, and I did look into it, and nothing came of it. And there's a whole another story about dense breasts, which I think yeah. also needs to be told. But um, that's, that's the issue, is um, we need to get people screened. And I'm hearing from friends just yesterday that their screening is backed up by six months. And, that all, and that's COVID-related, and that's also a worry. Yeah, well, I want to get to that in a moment. Let's take a call from Shelly in Thornhill. Hello, Shelly. Hello, Libby. I love your show, as I've said before. Um, I got screened a month ago, and I was, again, thankful to find that I was fine. But I'm 73, and I got a letter that said that I'm going to be turning 74 and no more mammograms for me, that they do not continue with that. And I wonder what your guests have to say about that, like why... What is my risk after age 74? Why doesn't it continue? Okay. Um, Could I uh, sure, maybe please. take that one on? Um, currently, that's the guidance that's being provided um, by a federal task force in Canada, but it's really not based on any particularly good science. Nothing magically happens to women when they turn 74, except in uh, many provinces they're no longer encouraged to continue screening. If they're in otherwise good health, they're likely to reap the same benefits from early detection if they have a cancer by continuing screening, as long as there's no other major health uh, concerns that are going to, uh, say, um, reduce their mobility or whatever and cause it to be dangerous to go out of the house. Yeah, but but will they get a screen? <laughs> well, they they certainly can get a screen, but they have to be a little bit more aggressive. They're not going to be invited in most cases uh, for that screening examination, uh, but they can certainly uh, arrange to do it by uh, making an appointment uh, with the same f- facility usually as where they have been getting their screening up to that point. Okay. And uh, in some cases, they may need a referral from their uh, family doctor. Okay, Shelley, so you just have to be a, a little more aggressive uh, and, and take the initiative on that. Yes, it's interesting that um, your expert mentioned that other provinces have different guidelines and uh, that that's always what interests me that these things aren't you know written in stone and as you as he said and I'm interested in hearing that there's no medical evidence that the risk lowers as you get older okay Shelley thank you very much you're welcome Libby Okay, well, uh, yeah, everything is different in every province in this country, Uh, (laughs) but that is a whole other story. Uh, Dr. Yaffe, so how backed up are things because of the pandemic and um, are institutions like Sunnybrook focusing on high-risk people? I know uh, I had my mammograms. Uh, I have have an appointment for uh, other ones. I can't remember when, but, you know, on time. Well, there was a disruption and a, really a complete stoppage of screening um, in the late spring, I think it was, and uh, part of the summer of 2020. And it's taken a while to get back to full volumes because of social distancing and uh, cleaning requirements in the facility. But also there's been hesitation, and Dr. Rakovich has commented on, on that publicly, there's been hesitation on the part of some women to come back for the screening. And I think um, uh, that um, uh, that Dr. Davila has done a wonderful service by just reminding women how important it is not to delay in getting their their routine screening examinations. I think the wait times are um, longer than than one would like them to be. I don't have specific numbers, um, but uh, there has been a, a backup in uh, most facilities in in this country. Okay, we've got to take another break, and we will be back with more on this very important topic with Councillor Jay Robinson, Dr. Martin Yaffe, and Dr. Eileen Rakovich. And before we go to break, let me give you the numbers. If you've got questions about your screening, whether you should continue screening, whether you're worried uh, because COVID is still with us, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We are talking about the importance of breast screening. We're talking about DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, which is uh, the reason that uh, Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, Eileen Davila, is having some surgery today. It is a precancerous situation. Uh, And one of the things that I wanted to touch on, you know, is it's it's precancerous, but you know, in some cases, I know people who had to have more extensive surgery for this than for invasive breast cancer, and and it's because it's in the duct, and usually when you get surgery, they need to have a margin around it, and and that can be difficult. Um, who wants to take that, Doctor Rakovich? Sure, I can speak to that. So. Um, as we were saying earlier, DCIS are precancerous cells, at least in some of the cases. But because we cannot distinguish which ones truly are going to develop into invasive cancer from those that may not, the recommendation is that all women get treated. And the first step in treatment is to surgically remove all of the disease. Now, in some women, the majority of women are detected through screening mammography which I just want to, again, emphasize, it's our best way to find breast cancer early. But DCIS sometimes can involve a large part of the breast. And so to remove all of the disease with a good cosmetic result in some women requires a mastectomy. So it is completely separate from invasive cancer where the DCIS, as, and, and it is similar to invasive cancer. In both situations, you want to remove all the disease, and sometimes that requires a mastectomy to remove all of the DCIS. Okay, and um, Jay Robinson, you know, I recall that we talked um, around the time that you started your treatment, and and it was the very beginning of the pandemic, before we had vaccines, before there was enough PPE, and it was it was... Uh, quite scary, but uh, things are better now, right? Oh, so much better. So much more comfortable going into Odette, going to Sunnybrook. Uh, it's again just, um, it's just unbelievable. Dr. Rakovic is here because she was my doctor during the stage, the first beginnings of COVID. And we would have conversations. And I didn't see her as much as I probably should have just because we were trying to reduce contact. And so I would simply go in for my radiation and, and get out as quickly as I could because, as you say, Libby, and you've got an amazing memory, uh, people didn't have masks at that point. There, there just wasn't the supply. And there were supply issues, and if there was any masks, they were going to the COVID wings of the hospital. So that was really a wild experience, unnerving. And um, she navigated me through all of that. Uh, we had to redo some of the mapping because um, they had a we had to lose our some of the, the tubes, the apparatuses we breathe through. Uh, there's all these uh, things that, that she was overseeing to adapt what the treatment would look like because of COVID. So uh, again, I have to uh, take my hat off to her. Is that was a very stressful time for all hospitals uh, navigating cancer treatment um, and trying to prioritize the most um, vulnerable patients. Well, uh, and and you deserve a lot of credit, too, uh, working as much as you can through it and, and just kind of dealing with it. I can just imagine how extra scary it was. Um, so, Dr. Rakovich, things are better now. You want to reassure people. Yes, absolutely. I want to reassure people that it is safe um, and really uh, use this platform, commend the two of you commend Dr. Davila for raising awareness that screening for cancer is very important and it's important because we have seen more advanced cases in the absence of screening and due to hesitancy. And we, I just want to reassure um, your listeners that screening is very important uh, for breast, for cervical, for colorectal cancer. To It's our best way for the early detection of cancers when they're more curative with less aggressive treatments. Okay, let's take a call from Sheila in Toronto. Hello, Sheila. Hello, Libby. Um, 
in 2009, my mother was 87 years old, and she was recommended for a mammogram, had it. They did surgery and removed a very tiny lump. She had radiation and coped well with that. She went for a walk every day after radiation. And uh, she died in 2018 when she was 96. Wow. And wow. it was her heart that gave out. There was no more trace of cancer after the, uh, the age of 87. So it can be worth having the mammogram in your senior years. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story, Sheila. You're welcome, and take care. Stay healthy. Thank you. Uh, so that was another uh, question that I have. Um, you, you, the first step uh, for the treatment of DCIS is surgery. In most cases, uh, do people have to have radiation as well? Currently, yes. Most women will be recommended to have radiation treatment. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, we are working and identifying some molecular profiles that might identify safely women who are at very low risk that may be able to avoid radiation treatment. So we're, the, you know, research is, we're getting there to really understand who can, uh, who needs radiation to reduce the risk of recurrence. Right now, most women do get radiation treatment, but we're looking at molecular profiling to identify a low risk group of women that can safely avoid radiation treatment. And, and basically no one with that diagnosis does chemo, right? Correct. It's non-invasive, no chemo. They may be dis- um, discussed to have tamoxifen, um, which lowers the estrogen levels or endocrine therapy, but not chemotherapy. Okay. Um, so we're starting to run out of time. Dr. Yaffe, what do you want to tell people? Well, there's a few things. First of all, one of your callers asked about screening after age 74, yep. um, and there certainly are benefits in that. We've also seen in a very large Canadian study that was published in 2014, benefits of beginning screening as of age 40, about 44% reduction in breast cancer deaths in women who participated in screening starting at age 40 compared to women who didn't get screened. And the other thing I think your, your listeners need to know about is dense breasts. Some women have uh, breasts that are very difficult to see through in a mammogram, and they should be told about this. And in some cases, uh, it may make sense for them to have additional examinations, perhaps with ultrasound, uh, where you can see through the breast, and uh, in many cases, a cancer could be hiding there and found on ultrasound that way. Uh, I, I, that just reminds me. I just talked to a friend of mine who uh, she, she was uh, she was sent to have an MRI because her breasts are dense. Absolutely, an MRI is valuable for that. It's a fairly expensive uh, technique. It's also valuable for uh, a small group of women who are at very increased risk. And some research also that came from Sunnybrook uh, showed a benefit uh, for those high risk women in being screened with uh, with breast MRI. Okay. Uh, um, just Dr. Rakovich, what would you like to leave us with? I, I'm very glad Martin raised the age that women should start screening. I think it's very important to distinguish public health policy and recommendations based on data from an individual level decision. Speak to your doctors about when you should start screening, when you should stop screening, and, and um, have that individual risk-benefit conversation. Jay Robinson, last word to you. Okay, well, advocate, advocate, advocate for yourself. Um, Hospitals right now are the safest place you can go, way safer than a mall. They have all the measures in place times 10. Get in and get screened. You're not going to be exposed to COVID. You're going to be perfectly safe. And read Libby's book because that helped me get through. Ah, a plug. Wonderful. It was really... Libby, I hope you write a second book. You've got to write a second book. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks so much, Counselor Jay Robinson, and all the best to you, and Dr. Eileen Rakovich and Dr. Martin Yaffe. uh, Really important topic, and thanks for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. 
Good afternoon and welcome. What kind of a car do you drive? That's uh, an important question because according to new insurance data, car thefts are on the rise in Toronto and the GTA. Elsewhere as well, this past year, Toronto saw as many as 6,000 car thefts, which is a 10% increase compared to 2020. Peel Region had 3,000. York Region had more than 2,000. And according to Toronto Police data, here in Toronto this year, the most targeted vehicle type has been the Honda CRVs. Second is the Lexus RX 350 uh, S. SUV model. Now, there are actually some Lexus SUV models where you have a staggering one in five chance of having your car stolen. And other vehicles with a high target rate, according to this insurance data from Equité Canada, are the Ford 150 and the F250, F350, F450, and Honda Civics, right? These are not huge luxury uh, cars. So what is it about these vehicles that make them uh, such an excellent and popular target? And what are some useful tips for car owners? Let me give you the numbers. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Elliot Silverstein, Director of Government Relations with CAA Insurance, and Detective Romel Dimatulak with the York Regional Police Auto Cargo Theft Unit and Organized Crime Enforcement Bureau. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having Good afternoon. Me. Thank you for having us. Okay, uh, let's begin with Elliot. I mean, any surprise here that the numbers keep going up? You know, it's been a challenge for many years, and I think we've been hearing about thefts for, for a long time, and I think the numbers right now are staggering. I think people are at home. I think at times, you know, people tend to, to you know, leave their cars outside. They may not put them in the garage uh, as much as they otherwise would. I think now with winter weather, there may be another opportunity, but... Uh, um, it's, beca- it's become a challenge, and it's an increasing challenge. Uh, and, Detective, I mean, we keep hearing about more and more sophisticated methods that these car thieves can start the car without a key, uh, you, know, you know, completely remotely. I know that we heard, well, if you put your, your car key in a metal cup, that will prevent them from doing that. But, but I think they've circumvented even that. Yeah, over time they've uh, learned the processes of, in which we are trying to combat the auto theft. So they are adapting and changing their techniques to um, overcome that. And at times they are successful. Okay, well, um, so Elliot, uh, why do you think those models are so popular? We've got uh, the Lexus, which is a Toyota luxury brand, and, and also Honda CRVs. Why them? You know, some of them have been on the list for many years, and some have different values in, a, in other parts of the world. I think, you know, really what it comes down to is that these are the ones that are really the ones that are taken most frequently, but it, it also underscores the importance that regardless of the type of model or brand that you have, you need to take precautions because, um, you know, it does happen to other vehicles. So these may be the ones that are most common and have uh, value elsewhere in the world, but people need to make the, 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 the right choices to take the, the time to protect their uh, car proactively. Okay. And Detective, uh, what are you telling people to do to protect their car? Well, the number one thing that we suggest is to, if you can, park your vehicle in the garage. Once it's inside your garage, it's very difficult for the auto thieves to, one, uh, gain access to it. And uh, these thieves usually uh, conduct um, surveillance throughout neighborhoods. And when they see a car, they'll, uh, tend to, they have a tendency to return back in the neighborhood uh, to steal it at, a, at an opportune time. So parking the car is the number one thing uh, uh, we suggest in the garage. Uh, the number two thing is uh, the uh, steering wheel uh, locking mechanism, such as the club. Um, it prevents um, uh, an auto thief from taking the time to steal your car. Uh, and when they see that in there, it, it, it's a deterrent. So what we're trying to, to do is deter the thieves from actually stealing the vehicle from the driveway. 
there's other suggestions that we we recommend is if you can't park the car in the garage, uh, some some neighborhoods you can't. But if well, you have some another, of us don't have garages, <laughs> right? But if you have a secondary vehicle and park the vehicle behind, uh, right up to that car, so it makes it more difficult for the thieves to uh, entry uh, gain access to the vehicle and then the re- reverse the vehicle or drive the vehicle out of the driveway. Hmm. Uh, so you, you mean park the uh, park the more desirable vehicle first? Well. Park, yeah, that's correct. Park, like if, if the identified vehicles is what uh, um, they're after, the vehicle that they may not want, it, park that behind that vehicle. Make it more difficult for them to steal. Okay. Elliot, um, you know, I also looked at the list of vehicles that are not taken that often, and I was kind of surprised. So BMW on that list and also uh you know the bonafide luxury cars what why is that uh, is their security better it, you know it, it really varies by 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 brand i think you know some brands are, are certainly as i said more attractive in certain types of vehicles suvs are certainly a more attractive uh piece and, and, and you know again it it's it, it's you know in one part sophistication of some of these are very sophisticated actions. I mean some of this is is what we've seen over the years without necessarily sophistication, but perhaps error by a driver or an owner um, who didn't lock a door, or didn't lock a window. So I think you know it, it really comes down to you know what what people are looking for. Um, you know again there are some some very specific vehicles in demand. Um, but but really, you know, it, it's even if your your type of vehicle is not on the list, it it shouldn't necessarily take you uh, backwards and say, well, I don't have to take the steps to keep my car safe. This is actually more on the opposite side of saying I need to make sure that my car is secure at all times, whether I'm at the mall, whether I'm at home, uh, and so forth, because it only takes one incident for you to have these types of situations happen. Detective, again, do you have any uh, thoughts? Because I'm looking at the list of the least stolen cars, and it's expensive cars. It's uh, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, um, uh, as well as uh, Ford, GM, and Dodge products. So, uh, you know, I'm and Volvo. Well, I completely agree with Elliot. There, it, it doesn't have to be the vehicles that's on that list. Any vehicle is susceptible to theft. And just because you don't have those vehicles and not taking the necessary precautions to protect your vehicle, um, you know, you're, it could happen. Um, at times, people will say, well, that won't happen to me until it does. And then that's when they, they take the preventative measures. So if they, right on the onset, if they believe that uh, any vehicle that's exposed and not parked in the garage could be susceptible to theft. So... We, we recommend and we ask the, uh, the owners of these vehicles to take the necessary precautions. It, it's a highly um, uh, valuable investment that you've made uh, to purchase one of these vehicles. They, the, the cost of vehicles obviously has increased due to the uh, supply chain, and there's more vehicles uh, being sought after um, for, for theft. Let me give the numbers out again, uh, people. Uh, do you have questions about this? I'm also curious. Um, have you had the experience of having your car stolen, stolen out of the driveway? Uh, and uh, do you have questions about what to do to protect it? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I am talking to Elliot Silverstein of the CAA and also Detective Romel Dimatulak about what this situation means. And uh, Elliot, you are in the insurance business and, you know, at the end of the day, the cost of these stolen vehicles is passed on to all insurance consumers, right? You know, it, it is a situation where, you know, more thefts do, do have an impact uh, overall. I mean, it, 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 is, it is something that, that puts the industry uh, and, and the public uh, susceptible. Um, and, and that's why, you know, proactively, we are really trying to tell people to take the protective measures. I mean, really, you know, we, I can't underscore it enough that, that sometimes changing behaviors um, is really important. It's, you know, making sure that you, that you protect yourself, that you keep stuff protected in your home, that it's not accessible near the front door and so forth. Uh, you know, again, the, the more that we can take steps to mitigate 
the, 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 the situations from happening, the better the better off we are. I mean, unfortunately, these things will happen. We can't prevent it 100%. But, you know, what we try to do time and again is to encourage people to make the right choices, take the small steps so that it, it makes it harder, as the officer said, for, for a, 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 a thief to take the vehicle. Okay, I'm just looking here at a number, which is pretty staggering, that in 2020, insurance claims from stolen vehicles in Ontario, just this one province, $238 million. I mean, that's pretty massive. It is a it is a big number because again you know like again as we saw you know a lot a lot of vehicles uh, of, of different uh, of values and so forth and and it adds up and again people were at home more in 2020 and different behaviors had changed in 2020 so there are some other factors that uh, people may have been more relaxed because we were in a in a time where we were primarily locked down so people may have let down their guard uh, you know as one possible uh, uh, action as a result of this but but nevertheless I think that the the details that have come out through this this release of this study uh, really highlights that we need to make sure that we are we are uh, keeping our eye on the ball at all times because it, it is it is a shared responsibility we all need to look out for our own vehicles look out for others if we see things that are going on in our area let our neighbors know because uh, the more that we can do to avoid this the better off we will all be detective according to the story in the star this is so common that most people if they get their car stolen the police won't come to their house uh, they just file a report and uh, because you need that for insurance, and they ask for video, but the thieves wear balaclavas. So, um, uh, you know, what is that situation? Uh, that's not necessarily the, the case. When when individuals notice that their vehicle has been stolen, uh, oftentimes the, we at the in York region do respond. Um, we do access and get the cooperation from the home homeowners as well as canvassing from other neighbors uh, regarding the surveillance cameras that may have captured the theft. Yeah, wh- while they wear balaclavas or, or um, uh, disguises, there's other distinguishing features that may be uh, helpful in the investigation, um, such as their walk, such as their, um, their shoes, their clothing. And there's other mitigating factors that we can to link them up to other uh, circumstances in the neighborhood. Um, you know, uh, I, I would agree with Mr. Sorstein. Is Detective? Hello? Have we just lost Detective Dematulak? Are you there? Okay, we will work on that. Let's take a call from Natalie in Mississauga. Hello, Natalie. Natalie? Oh, um, gee, I hope we're not having some kind of uh, strange audio problem. Uh, The question that we had from Natalie was, what is a safe way to start the car, uh, you know, uh, with the doors unlocked when it's really cold in the winter? Uh, Elliot, do you have an answer for that? Well, I think, you know, you know, a lot of people have those um, uh, ignition starters, and I think I think it's about making sure that you're, you're you're nearby. I understand, like you know, if you're close in proximity, I think people get into the habits of leaving their their vehicles unattended, and that is that is the the ultimate risk. Because again, you know, if if we're seeing a lot more of the uh, the technology challenges, um, you don't want to pr- provide that 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 invitation for people to to grab your vehicle. So I think it's about you know, again, vehicles don't need a, a long time to start up. Uh, they need a little bit of time, so I think you know if, you, if you're if you're in proximity, um, that that's a that's a good way to do it. But don't leave it sitting there idle for you know five, ten, fifteen minutes because number one, that's excess in terms of what you need from an environmental perspective. You know you don't need to do that for your vehicle, um, but you really draw attention to yourself um, and, and put yourself at risk. Uh, I think we have Detective Dimatulak back. Are you there? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. Okay, sorry about that. Do you have any advice? Uh, A caller that we uh, lost also was asking about a safe way to remote start the car. I mean, um, it's one thing to be in proximity, but I can tell you, for instance, if I was uh, starting a car in the driveway and I was you know, in my kitchen, uh, that would give them enough time to get in the car and take it. Well, absolutely. It takes it takes mere seconds. Uh, once you start the car and you leave it unattended, and the vehicle 
driver's door is unlocked, it takes seconds to for someone who's watching uh, vehicles that are being warmed uh, being warmed up during the cold uh, days for them to enter your driver's door, reverse the car out of the driveway, and they're gone. And you have you as the homeowner have no recourse. Especially just you you can't stop that. They're they're going to drive the car away, uh, and it takes mere seconds. So. You know, I, I believe that there are some um, remote starters that as soon as you enter the vehicle and push the brake, it shuts down the car. But it, just like Mr. Silverstein said, it, it only takes not that long for the car to warm up. But do the necessary precautions yourself to prevent yourself from being a victim of a theft. Okay, let's hear from Cam in Scarborough. Hello, Cam. Hi, Libby. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Go ahead. Um, I was wondering uh, if uh, covering up your VIN number uh, has anything to do with these fobs and these thieves. Is it a good idea to cover your VIN number uh, to keep it out of sight of these thieves? Well, oftentimes the VIN number has specific characteristics on it that identifies uh, the year of the vehicle. At times they go and they look at the year. Um, so that's the kind of vehicle that they're looking for. Uh, what I would suggest, if you can, um, obstruct it in the meantime, but you can't drive with the vehicle obstructed, the VIN number obstructed at all times. Um, okay. there, there are times that while it's parked in your driveway, yeah, you do your best to conceal it, but make sure that when you're driving around that you remove it because... That in itself is also suspicious, having it blocked off. Okay. No, that's, that's a good tip. I can always cover it, I guess, in the evening at night and then remove it when I get in the car to go. Yeah. It, it's, uh, there's, a VIN number is like a fingerprint. It's specific to that vehicle. And if, if a thief wants that specific vehicle, but they can't identify it with the year and the make um, and distinguishing features from the VIN, you know, it it makes it makes uh, a lease attractive vehicle. Sure. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Cam. Uh, I'm wondering. You know, that kind of makes it sound. Or are, are are some of these thefts kind of ordered? You know, like made to order. I want this particular vehicle, this particular year. Is it mostly organized crime? Yeah, that, that's basically what it is. It's no longer the point where. Uh, years back where teenagers would just steal a car and then go for a joyride. These are major uh, vehicles that they're um, theft to order, I mean, that they're looking for specific vehicles for the purpose of stealing it. And at times they ship it um, out of the country for a profit. So it does profit organized crime. It's a group, a large group of individuals um, that profit from the theft of, uh, theft of it. And, uh, you know, the the other question that I have is, uh, okay, so it's it's kind of made to order. We also used to hear about that some of these vehicles were just taken for parts, Elliot. You know, a lot of different uh, vehicles, the, the parts are in demand for, for various pieces. And, and, and again, that, that has happened many, many times. And, and you know, again, the... the the root, the root reason for for uh, for the theft is one part, but I think you know what we're we're seeing it happen. Um, you know, again, some some as, as the officer was saying could be opportunistic to take it uh, uh, internationally, and and some are, are really to salvage the pieces because it, there's the the value or the access to certain materials uh, from, from certain brands. So I think you know, regardless of which origin it is, um, it is a challenge that we're facing and one that we have to uh, to, to get our hands on. And uh, Elliot, if if somebody has their vehicle stolen, is that going to impact their rates going forward? Well, it's it's important. Again, every situation with insurance is different, depending on, on where on what your insurance policy is, what your deductible is, all the various elements to it. So, you know, again, what your claims history may have been in your situation. So it's, very, it's, it's always hard to, to give a, a straight yes or no answer. But certainly, you know, what it is, is the more you can take precautions, um, that you show you've taken precautions, the, the better it is. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're leaving your car in the open, doors open, uh, windows, unlo- windows uh, open and, and doors unlocked, 
um, you know, you're putting yourself at greater risk. So again, you know, it's, it's a lot of these pieces where, um, you know, we want to encourage people um, just the same to not have your valuable documents inside. Don't leave um, necessarily or, or don't have your only copy of insurance in the car because you don't have that available to you. So the more that we can get people to, to change behaviors, to do things right, um, we, we lower that risk. I mean, you know, again, at the end of the day, um, you know, if somebody has challenges on their insurance, there may be some impacts. Um, you know, for others, there may, there may be little to no impact. Again, it does vary from your provider, does vary on your personal situation. Well, yeah, what I'm hearing you say is that, yes, you could end up with a bigger insurance bill if your car is stolen. I mean, where it, an incident where you're actually the victim. Again, it depends on the circumstances. It depends, as, as you know, we were talking earlier, and the officer was saying about dip, dip, you know only taking seconds. I think that if there's certain actions that have been taken, I think you know it, it's it's like anything else. How did something happen? And I think you know really it comes down to um, you know when, when it comes to to an insurance claim, you know it's about understanding the situation of how it came about. Much like much like a collision, you want to understand the, the the root causes. So really, you know, again, what we try and do more than anything else is to educate people to understand to make the right choices to to mitigate these risks because. A lot of the, I mean, a lot of the tactics that we recommend can help avoid these situations from happening. So um, the more that that happens, the less we have these conversations. Uh, Detective, I, what, what I'm hearing here is that you can almost be found to be at fault for the theft. Well, you, you, can't, you can't actually be at fault at times. You, you're, you can't essentially blame the, the, the victim for having their car stolen. But just Mr. Silverstein said... We, as a public awareness, we're trying to do our best to mitigate the risk. Uh, do the, your best to mitigate being a victim of your car, be, your car being stolen. Take the necessary precautions. Don't wait till it happens to you. These preventative measures uh, are, are what we're hoping homeowners and vehicle owners can do so they are not a victim of a theft. There is nothing worse than on Monday morning when you're about to go to work and you realize your car's gone. Well, that starts a snowball effect for that person. You know, it, it's, a, it's an awful feeling knowing that their car is missing and that sometime during the night it was stolen. So the best we can do is uh, mitigate that risk. Let's hear from Carl in Keswick. Hello, Carl. Hi, Libby. Uh, I have a 2019 Toyota Highlander. Uh, what I do is I obliterate the VIN number with a long envelope. This is very easily done. It's only accessible um, to mechanics if they remove the envelope. Secondly, the key fob can be disabled. I do this by pressing and holding the lock button and then press the unlock button twice. This disables the key fob, and you cannot enter the car until such at such time as you uh, press the unlock button. Hmm. Um, now, I don't know if this is um, uh, typical of the whole product uh, line. Other Toyotas may... Uh, Anyway, that's what I do. Okay, I don't know if if you can be driving around with your VIN number obstructed, de- de- detective. Yeah, but, uh, if a cop wants to see it or anybody, just reach on the over the dash and pull the envelope. Detective, is that well, okay? I, I, again, it. Um, while I while I agree in, in most cases with your caller there, I, I, I wouldn't be driving around with an obscured VIN number. Um, while no, while I. While it's unpar- while it's parked in your driveway, it's a good suggestion. I, I often tell my family and friends that, um, so they don't, so the thieves don't have access to the VIN number. But when you're driving around, I would suggest that you pull that envelope, um, so it, it doesn't look like you're trying to obscure it. It it can't be stolen while the driver is actually driving his own vehicle or her vehicle. As regards to the the key fob, we've noticed thieves are entering your vehicle and then having a tool similar to what a mechanic would have to actually reprogram your key fob. So we have had instances where the homeowner has come out and realized that their car can't start even though they have the keys. 
Well, it's because the key is essentially reprogrammed. So the, the key that you have in your house no longer works. The thieves have an actual new key that wow. they have uh, to start the vehicle. Wow. Carl, uh, thanks for your call, and uh, thanks for your tips, uh, but wow. So they reprogram it, and then uh, um, how can you get that reversed? Do you have to call a tow truck? or? Yeah, it's, a, it's quite an expense for the, the vehicle owner. They'll have to get the car towed back to the manufacturer or to the dealership and, get the re- and then they get the key reprogrammed back to a new set of keys. So it is a huge inconvenience and, you know, um, for the homeowner. But, yeah, these are the techniques that we are seeing now. Um, a lot of the reports that we get is the vehicle is stolen from their driveway and the homeowner has all sets of keys, leading us to suggest that the thieves have uh, a key reprogrammer. And at times when we have made arrests, they're in possession of a, re, a key reprogrammer. And does that work for any car? Yeah, any keyless uh, remote uh, start entry, it will work because they, the manufacturer or the dealerships need some way to reprogram a key if the rightful owner's keys malfunction. Hmm. Amazing. Anyway, we are out of time for now. Elliot Silverstein, what would you like to leave us with? With the holiday season here, you know, take every precaution you can. As we talk about it all the time, keep keep uh, valuables uh, hidden or out of your vehicle altogether. Um, make sure you have a copy of your insurance at home handy uh, and take the preventative measures to keep your car safe at all times. Okay. That's all the time we have for this segment. Uh, uh, Very interesting and a a worthwhile warning. Thank you so much, Elliot Silverstein and Romel Dimatulak. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to follow up, uh, you know, pretty shocking news from Dr. Eileen Davila late yesterday. She's having surgery today for precancerous cells that were found on a mammogram. So we'll talk about what exactly that is and what we should all or women should be doing about it and how that impacts somebody in public life when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.